You have a nice Thanksgiving? Oh, I'm so happy. We had the past seven years, we've always been at my brother's house, which is great. Pros and cons, though. The, the pros, oh, here comes the ushers if you want to uh, raise your hand for a pencil for notes. But you don't have to write this part down. The pros, someone else is doing all the cooking. That's kind of nice. But the cons, when you're not hosting, you don't get any leftovers. <laughs> for seven years, my brother's just been hogging the leftovers. You know, Charlie, you've been hogging those leftovers. So this year, we get to host Thanksgiving and we kept all the left. No, we shared, we shared them, but hope that you have a nice, a nice Thanksgiving. And here we are on the week before the beginning of the season of Advent. We don't have to wait till that not-so-silent night uh, to meet Jesus face to face. He's in the Bible from cover to cover. And so this morning, I'm so excited to kick off our new series, Jesus on Every Page, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. Look at this incredible set. Look at this thing. This is amazing. Spelling out Jesus uh, with little scrolls of paper. Think about all the fragments of of Scripture that were written and copied and passed down uh, through all the generations, all the scribes, and kind of representing that and them all adding up to pointing to the coming of the Messiah. And then we have scripture both in Hebrew and in Greek on either side of the sanctuary. Uh, We have here Isaiah 9, 1 to 6. This is a very familiar passage to us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But it's actually all of the passage because my team asked and they said, no, we need more scripture to copy down to work on this incredible hand written by Cammie Wright. And then here on, on this side, we have Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 to 4, which reads, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by whom? His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so our series is going to help us understand how all 66 books that are collected together in this collection of library books that we call the Bible, all 66 books point to Jesus and the good news that he's brought into the world. And so to begin this morning, we're going to start with a passage you might have heard on an Easter Sunday here. We're kind of changing things up on the eve of the Christmas season. I'd like us to please stand. I'm going to invite Faye to come up and read from Luke chapter 24. this on? Okay. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. 
They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus had recognized was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would speak uh, in it and through it to us and through the simple words that I've prepared on this page, Lord, would you uh, draw us closer still to you, our Father in heaven our Son in heaven, our Spirit among us. Amen. Now, only one of the two disciples is named Cleopas. We don't know the other's name. He's, the other one isn't named, so we can just, it's just pure conjecture on my part, but, but I, I think that it could be his wife. It could be a husband-wife team. That's just me. There's no evidence for that, but David and I were at a conference in Denver where some very smart people probably could uh, sell a lot of books explaining all the reasons why it couldn't possibly be that or it was that, but we'll leave that for another debate. Anyway, there are these two people. What, what is clear is that these two disciples are in the pits of disappointment. And after this encounter, they are filled with an exhilarating joy after this encounter with the risen Christ. That they go from uh, knowing what everybody knew in town to, to having their, their minds blown and, and their hearts set on fire by this revelatory insight. As we look at the text, take special note of the questions that Jesus asks of his disciples. There's three of them, verses 17, 19, and 26. And these questions propel their disciples, his disciples, deeper into understanding the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures that in them is found the good news of the gospel. So now we have the, the resurrected Christ Jesus meeting these two devout disciples on the road, two people that he, that he loves and knows very well, but they can't recognize him on the road of life, and he enlightens them, and he redirects them back, listen, back on mission for their ultimate good and for the glory of God. So notice that change in direction. The scene is Easter Sunday afternoon. It's been three days since Jesus was crucified and buried. And these two are doing what? They're walking to 
a village named Emmaus. It doesn't exist anymore, but they're, they're walking home. Why? Because the revolution they thought was going to start is over. It's over. The party's been disbanded. Everyone just go home. Why stick around? Or so they thought. And so that's all they talked about along the road. Imagine the things that they would have conversed about, the things that they'd seen, the things that they'd experienced, the things that they had been taught by Jesus, but even more so the things that they saw him do. All their hopes and dreams dashed. The one they believed would be a Messiah, the one that would, would come and bring such radical change, just like all the rest in the past, hung on a cross and buried so there's no reason to stick around Jerusalem after the Passover. Time to go home sad, shaken, and disappointed. And it's at that moment that the risen Lord Jesus meets these two disciples. It's at those very moments that the Lord Jesus meets us in the road of life. When we're sad and shaken and disappointed. And they can't recognize him, can they? Why? Why can't they recognize him? The Bible doesn't say but we have the first question, what are you discussing? What, what are you talking about? He asks. And, and Luke writes that they look sad. It says uh, their faces are downcast. And we think sad, but I, I'm reading it a little differently. I bet Cleopas, after all of what's happened, I think he's a little annoyed. I mean, would anyone else feel a little, bit, a little bit put off? That's just kind of what I'm reading into this. I'm thinking he's a little grouchy. Uh, let, me, let me read it with a grouchy voice. What are you discussing? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? The, the truth is, Jesus is the only one who actually knows what's been going on, right? But he's, he plays a little coy, right? What things? And I just imagine Cleopas like, oh, this guy. Who's this character? I mean, I, I, we're hurting inside. We're trying, I'm trying to figure this out and He's got questions. Oh, okay. So we'll, we'll do our bit. We, we've got to do our bit. This is what we're, we're called. We're the sent ones. I guess I got to share what's happened. And so he launches into to talking about Jesus to Jesus. He says he was a prophet of God. He did mighty things. He, he tells Jesus about the triumphal entry on Monday, how the crowd sang Hosanna uh, and threw palm branches at his feet and, and hailed him, the son of David, how on, on Tuesday then he, he cleared the temple, how on Wednesday he, he taught in the temple, how then he was arrested and there was a kangaroo court in his trial. And then there was the passion of Calvary, he lays it all out to him. A picture, Cleopas, a street evangelist who's annoyed and irritated by having to repeat all of this to a perfect stranger. You don't normally see that, do you? <sighs> Fine, you want to hear the news? Here's the news. But there's nothing good about it. You see, they had all the facts right about the cross, about the empty, uh, about the, the tomb that he was placed in. They had all the facts right about the witnesses, but their story just didn't add up to what we would call the gospel. It's like hearing the punchline of a joke without the joke. It just didn't connect. There is no good news without 
the story of the resurrection. And so hearing all of this and the big buildup would have been a big downer on that road. Let me ask you a couple of questions, and I will throughout our, our few minutes we have together. How are you doing in the area of, of sharing the, the love of Christ, of what he's done in your life with those around you? Just take stock of that. How, how have those conversations gone around the dinner table? Maybe at Thanksgiving you had family and friends in town. How are those conversations sort of sidetracked to, to little side notes and not to what's most important and most central in your life? Kind of get off to sidetracks. It happens all the time. Think of all the ways that we can be sidetracked. Let me ask you this question. If, if Jesus were to walk a few miles with you today, what would you talk about? Can you imagine what these two were, were going through and consider the questions that Jesus asked? He's, he's probing, he's, he's poking them, he's, he's trying to elicit a response that reveals two things, their ignorance and their problem. And they're both the same. What they don't know and what's causing them so much angst. That they believe in a prophet who's now dead. That these two disciples were slipping back into popular opinion about Jesus. That was their, their default position. That, that Jesus was a good man. He was a great teacher. He, he, he tried his part to, to make great things happen. To help people. To make the world a better place. In a modern sense, these two disciples would say, look, Jesus is a great teacher. He was a great man. I put him right up there with, with Gandhi and uh, Martin Luther King uh, and the Dalai Lama. He's right up there. But you see, they, they miss who he actually is because they're not seeing the evidence. And they have no category to understand a dead Messiah. So there's no point in following him. Then look at what Cleopas says. He says, we hoped, we hoped he was going to redeem Israel. But now it's been what? Three days. Remember Lazarus in the grave? Three days? A little, little too long? He says, some of our sisters think they saw angels. Some, some of our sisters thought they saw an angel saying that he's come alive, but Peter didn't see him. Now, why not just knock their socks off, Jesus? Why not just say, bam, yo, here I'm back. It's me. Come on. Why, why is he holding back? Because I think Jesus wants to make the scriptures come alive to them so that they would believe that he is alive before they see that he's alive. He's only going to be with them a short time, 40 days, and then he ascends to heaven. He wants them to believe the scriptures that have been put into their hands and that will be written down one day. That's good news for us with our questions, with our uncertainties, with our doubts, with our hard times that we face. And we're surrounded by people here, and, and someone will say to me, Pastor Reeve, if, if God just spoke to me clearly, if, if God could just... With this situation that I'm in, if I, could just, if I could just get some information that could just help me in life, like, what's in your hand? That's the word of God. Look to your left and your right right now. Who's you're surrounded by? 
brothers and sisters in Christ. Look what we have. We have a baptismal font that's going to represent a spiritual reality. Someone's going to be born again this morning. And we say, if God just showed up and, and said something, he says, oh, ye of little faith. Look at verse 25. Look what he says. Verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are. I think there's, there's love in that, right? It's Jesus, right? Of course, there's, there's love, but he's, he's calling out their ignorance and their problem. How foolish you are, slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter into his glory? And then on that dusty road, one teacher, two students, and they become the greatest biblical scholars in all of human history. Verse 27, this is the basis of our whole series from now through the end of the year, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That's the first five books of the Old Testament that called the Pentateuch, and all the prophets, that's everything. That's the whole, the whole shebang. Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He interprets the scriptures. He reads them from back to front. And he says, you'll discover it's all about Jesus. That began with Moses and all the prophets. He told them how the Messiah was in the pages of the holy writings, inspired writings given to human authors. That he is the seed of the woman whose heel will be bruised, but he will crush the serpent, Genesis 3. He is the blessing of Abraham to all of the nations, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the man who wrestled with Jacob, the line of the tribe of Judah, the voice from the burning bush, the Passover lamb, the prophet greater than Moses, the captain of the Lord's army to Joshua, the ultimate kinsman redeemer mentioned in Ruth, the son of David who was king greater than David, the suffering savior in Psalm 23 and the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He's the wisdom of Proverbs and the lover of the song of Solomon the suffering servant described in Isaiah 53, and the royal one promised and foreseen in Daniel's prophecy, the one who will come and rule over his kingdom that will have no end. Christians seem to have forgotten that the Old Testament, the First Testament, is essential. It's essential. Instead, too many Christians cherry-pick the the good parts of the Old Testament, plucking them out of their context, or only moralizing the stories and the characters of the Old Testament. We mistakenly downplay its significance because, why? Because, well, it's too hard to understand, it's, it's too bloody, it's too long, and all those names, oh boy, try to pronounce all those Jewish names. Or worse, we take it and we shake it like a magic eight ball. Say, oh, okay, oh, okay, oh, that's how I should vote. Okay, okay, that's when it, he's coming back again. But listen, friends, I want you and me and all of us to have our own 
road to Emmaus experience. I want us to, to wrap our brains and our, and our arms around all of Scripture to see how, how the whole unfolding story, the love story of God, the redemptive history of God is found from cover to cover in his holy word. What was it like to have Jesus be a teacher for a few hours? He, he changes their whole understanding of the scriptures. And then what does he do? He, he redirects them back on mission for their own good, their own ultimate good, and for his glory. Because see, they were almost home. And, and it's nighttime, and there, there's, there's no street lights, right? So it's getting pretty dark, kind of dangerous. And they beg their new friend to stay with them. They show heroic hospitality offering to their friend. Notice it says, when they sat down to eat, it's the guest who takes the bread, blesses, and breaks it and gives it to them. And it's at that moment that they recognize all along it's been Jesus who's with them. What do we make of that little detail? Last week, uh, as David mentioned, he and I were in Denver at a conference for the Society of Biblical Literature. Lots of super smart people talking about the Bible and probably figuring out all kinds of things that, I don't know, was this his wife? Was it not? Does it matter? They get into that kind of stuff, right? Really smart people. And two of those super smart people sat down with us to record the Pulse podcast. If you don't listen to David's podcast every week, I encourage you to check it out, The Pulse. It's a fantastic podcast. And the two guests happen to be two of my best friends. Uh, my oldest friend, Julian Smith, he's a, a New Testament uh, scholar and PhD from Baylor University. He and his family led me to Christ. And my other friend, uh, Jace Broadhurst from, from Maryland, he has a PhD in the Old Testament. And so we were kind of workshopping this sermon series, right, David? Because we're like, it's starting a couple days. We've got to figure out. What am I supposed to say? And so I just want to quote to you what Julian said at minute 22 in that podcast. So I want you to listen back to it. It's the longest one we've ever recorded, but it's about half an hour. Rich stuff. I asked him the question. I put the question to the group. What do we make of the scene where it's when Jesus breaks the bread that they recognize who he is? I want to quote Dr. Dr. Julian Smith. The Gospels have records of a lot of what Jesus said. We get records of miracles he does. But I'm sure the disciples had a lot more experiences of moments sharing meals with Jesus. So it's no coincidence that it's in this familiar activity that they recognize who they're with. But also that last meal, the last time they broke bread with him, and what he was trying to communicate with them was this. I am not the Messiah you think I'm supposed to be. I'm not going to come charging in on a white horse and kick butts of the Romans. Sorry, there's no editing there. That's, that's what he said. And establish Israel as another political entity. That Jesus said, I'm actually going to be crucified and God is going to raise me from the dead. That was communicated in the breaking of bread. And I think that that, that moment it's that moment when they finally realize what he was trying to say to them in that last supper. It's something we ought to keep in mind when we ourselves break bread. 
both in the sense of celebrating the Lord's Supper, but also when we think about the way in which Christ's presence is among us when we share meals. Christ is here with us. Christ was there intimately with the disciples, and that's when their eyes are open. We also had an opportunity to break bread and fellowship with some other uh, brilliant uh, theologians that talked about how they were kind of behind the scenes, like World War II, those code breakers that were working on the Omega uh, code breaking when the troops, the pastors, and missionaries are out on the front lines. And Craig Bartholomew said, quote, we need to be able to taste the kingdom of God. It can't just be something we have cognizant head knowledge or mental assent, but an experience of reality in our lives. That's what we want to experience here together. That by faith, not by sight, you are saved. Once Jesus is gone, notice what happens in verse 32. They speak with one another and they ask, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And look what happens as soon as their eyes are opened. It's nighttime. It's seven miles. They get up and they get back on mission. They head back to Jerusalem, back to join the others, back to encourage them with all that they've seen and experienced. No one can sit on this message. The incarnation, life, death, and resurrection is the most important event that has ever happened in human history. So let me conclude with a few questions again. Does your heart burn? Not heartburn. There's going to be plenty of that. This, oh my gosh. Does your heart burn with the good news? Who are you going to share it with this Christmas? Who are you going to tell? Think of that, that one family, that one individual that you want to invite to church to, to risk a little relational capital, to, to say, yeah, I know I've invited you before. The pastor talked about it Sunday. I want to invite you. Can I just try again? If someone in your, in your life asked you to name three practical differences Jesus makes in your life, would you know how to answer them? Come up with a good answer. You see, my friends, this holiday season, your, your neighbors and, and friends are thinking about their family. They're thinking about blessing other people that are less fortunate than they are. They're thinking about goodwill. They're thinking about tradition. They're, they're making special memories with their kids and their grandkids. Their hearts and their minds are more open this time of year than any other time of year. It's the perfect opportunity to invite someone to church. To say, come and, can you just come and check out what's happening at Maple Valley Church? This is the perfect time to invite someone to come and hear the good news, to celebrate the meaning of Christmas, to, to hear an encouraging word of, of hope, love, joy, and the peace of God from whom all blessings flow to, to come and, and be together with other believers in Christ. And people that are along that road, and we're all at different places, and that's okay, and we have different questions, and that's okay. We have different concerns and different interests and different life experiences, and all of that is okay. You're all welcome in this place. And next week, you will be all welcome where? To his table. 
So I challenge you to come regularly this Advent season and to invite a friend. A recurring theme in the Bible is people's tendency to forget the Lord, their God, and our need to be reminded of what he's done for us. We'll look at that next week. How the, the Israelites just keep forgetting what God's done, and so they have to keep being reminded of what he's done for them and his goodness to them. I think the problem might be that they, like we, become too familiar with the story. Yes, we know the story of Christmas. Yes, we know Jesus is the reason for the season, and we grow so familiar with it. I pray for us this Advent season. The season called Advent in Latin means the coming, preparing, that it comes alive in a new way. We read the story of Jesus' birth, and it just comes alive to us. Like This actually happened in human history. May the Holy Spirit help you recognize that Jesus is walking alongside you on your road of life and your disappointments, your sadness, and your confusion. May we be a fellowship of the burning hearts, full of faith, who don't sit on this message, who are willing to risk to pray one, to bring one, and to love one. May we recognize Jesus more and more in our fellowship, in our friendships here at Maple Valley Church, knowing our mission field is right here. It's right here. May we search the scriptures together. May we ask the hard questions. May we be willing to risk social capital by by putting ourselves out there and saying, I don't understand, or can I challenge you on that? To encourage one another in our faith and expect Jesus to reveal himself. And may we prepare for Christmas by, by making this Advent our top priority to invite our friends, to invest, to invest financially in the ministry of this church, and to interact with one another just even an extra five to ten minutes. Do you know you don't have to put chairs away anymore? Isn't that insane? I, I've only been here about seven, eight months. That's a big deal. Think of it, in that many months, somebody do the math, carry the one. That's like a lot of time saved putting chairs away when I can spend time with you. Amen, let's do that. Let's just linger for a few minutes after worship to connect with someone before, before they leave, before they zip out. And, and I know if, you're, if your guest is your first time, I, I get it. You want to zip out of here. Just take a minute to connect with someone around you. That, that could be your gift this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being here, being present by your spirit. You said you had to go, that it was a good thing you were leaving because your spirit would come and greater things would be done for your kingdom, for your glory, and for our ultimate good. We can't see it, Lord. We can't understand it without faith. So God, increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to to risk. Help us to show heroic hospitality, reaching out, opening our, our homes, even taking a few extra minutes today to begin that time of checking in with one another. Set our hearts ablaze with the reality of your presence, Lord, the redemptive history, the story that you've written, and the story that you've written us into to be part of your story. We love you this day. And all God's children said, amen.